Welcome to another episode of The Ladies' Room. As always, my fantastic co-host is Jane McManus, and I am Julie DeCaro. We are still coming to you from our houses. I don't know when we won't be coming to you from our houses, uh, but here we are. Uh, The Ladies' Room, of course, being in our houses. And in our hearts. (laughs) That's really what matters. The true Ladies' Room is the friends we made along the way. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. It's a you know, it's a metaphor. It is. It, it is a metaphor. Correct. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the women's NCAA tournament, Jane, because I, I for my money, was way more exciting than the men's this year. Um, and, you know, we were sort of talking a little bit before we got going and we don't know what the ratings are yet, but it sure felt like a lot of people were watching. A hundred percent. And, I, you know, I've never I've never liked, you know, comparing the men's and women's tournament because in the past, it's always meant that whenever that comparison was made, the person who brought it up was making a point about the men's tournament right. generally. So I really like that this year. It seems like all those comparisons are going the other way. But again, these are these are two separate things and they can both be exciting. And one year one's up and one year one's down. But this year, the women's tournament was really exciting. And I just you know, there were so many personalities I I thought, you know, and again, it could just be who I follow and um, who you follow. And we tend to follow a lot of women in journalism um, and athletes. But at the same time, like everybody was talking about it. Everybody was talking about the women's yeah. tournament. And you would occasionally see like, you know, a LeBron James tweet swoop in mm-hmm. talking about the women's game. And um, and it just felt to me like it, the moments that those games were on, everybody on my timeline was watching it. And um, and the games were fantastic. And the personalities were great. And I just, I couldn't, um, like the whole conversation around, you know, Adia Barnes after Arizona won that game. And, you know, she is, you know, talking to her, her players and you just feel her energy and excitement. Mm -hmm. And then she, you know, flips off the metaphorical haters. And I just was like, yes. And, um, you know, and then of course that had to be a a stupid scandal for a half a second, um, before everything got drowned out, but that was Obama in a tan suit level scandal. (laughs) Newsflash women swear sometimes. I know. I just, uh, you know, it's women absolutely can't win. Um, in some segments of society, you have to even be, you have to coach, you have to coach like a lady, like you're in finishing school, <laughs> like your like is around the corner. Yes, I, crush your legs at the ankle, ladies. Don't reveal <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and you, do, do you not understand what it means to coach and motivate people to, you know, put people in your pocket and run with them? Like, this is what coaching is about. And I just thought we, you know, all of the coaching, you know, it's really great to see that, that you know, because so many men are coaching now women's teams. And it's so great to see the teams coached by women make it so far in the tournament. And how great is it to see, and I'm, and I'm sure that, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know numbers, but I'm guessing there are tons of mothers coaching sports all across the country. Um, you know, I, I coached when my kids were little to the point that I could with them, but, you know, seeing Adia Barnes, like, like, you know, with a baby on her hip and hearing that she was pumping breast milk at halftime and everything. I mean, that was just fantastic to me. I used just, to do that too. Yeah. Like I, I did that as well. So I'm like totally there with her on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such, it's such a reality of our lives. I mean, I would do jury trials. We would do recess. I'd run back to the office pump and then run back in and, you know, go back into a jury trial. And I love that. I mean, first of all, it, it sucks that you have to find time like that, but I don't really know how to get around it. No, but um, it, it's also just uh, the, you know, how women multitask and handle so many different things in life. Um, I thought that was really great. And then Ari McDonald is my new favorite everything. I mean, when Arizona played against IU, I was absolutely heartbroken. I was like, that chick is a cheat code. She is unfair. (laughs) Yeah. She, I mean, this is, and then, you know, to watch her go on after the elite eight and, and take the final shot. And it was so close. And, you know, there's four of us in my family. Three of us are men. And, you know, we're all latching in the living room going, Oh, and she took the final shot. I think, 
I think she had what she had two or three defenders on her. Yep. She was at the very top of the key outside the arc. Completely off balance. Completely off balance and like a second left. So it's the most possible pressure filled yeah. moment you could possibly experience as a basketball player and hits the rim. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And her poor dad. And I mean, this is the, this is what we've been saying about women's sports forever. If you tell the stories of these players, people will watch. Yeah. I I always say it's the same reason why people don't watch like XFL or like AAFL or whatever that league was called. Because if you don't know who the players are and you don't know their stories, you don't care. But once people start telling those stories, suddenly it becomes interesting. Well, and I think we're all starting to realize, and and the Washington uh, Post had a great story about this as well, that there's an artificial cap on a lot of uh, the potential that's placed there by by the organizations that run men's and women's teams. And I think there's a huge parallel uh, to be found between the NCAA and the way they treat the men's and women's basketball tournaments and U.S. soccer and how they treat the men's and the women's Mm. soccer teams. And yeah, maybe this is a future column. Maybe, yeah, it's, thinking, maybe it's somebody else. But as it, an editor, know. I was like, hey, we could use this. What are you doing? For it? <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> save it for the save it for the story. No, but but seriously, the way that they've set up the financials around the two products makes it very difficult to tell what the women's game is bringing in in both cases. And it often that means that there can be an argument made then by an organization in charge. And I think actually the NBA did this for a while with the WNBA, although it's completely changed the way that it looks at the women's game now. But the argument then is made, well, nobody cares about our other product. So we pour all of the money that it's that could that it could be making and we make it very indistinct from, you know, from our other sets of revenue. And then we can pour all the revenue and say it's just general revenue into the men's right side of things. And so, you know, I, I don't wonder if we're all beginning to kind of see now that um, you, when you don't maximize the women's game um, it, and you don't care about it, then that's money left on the table. And that's not fair to these women. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that is what the U.S. women's national hockey team was fighting for when they went on strike ahead of the world championships, that they are treated as um, almost like a um, public interest project. Right. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we have to do this for the women. And then all the money goes into one pot and they take 80 percent of that pot and dump it back into the men's game. And, and, and you know, treating, if you're treating a property like it's ch- a charity product. Right. Then you're not valuing it. Right. You're not absolutely valuing right. it in the same way. And 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 they, you know, part of the thing that they fought for and got in their contract was them was how much uh, USA Hockey would put into the girls game at the lower level to develop the next generation of, you know, gold medalists. So, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. And, um, you know, Donovan Dooley over at Deadspin wrote an article about how it's time to let the women start negotiating their own media rights for this tournament. And that, you know, the number of people watching and you're right, it did feel like everyone's timeline or like, you know, your timeline is just full of people watching the game and it could be who we follow. But I feel like I've seen an uptick in this since I would say last year's WNBA draft. Um, And it was maybe because it was during the pandemic and there was nothing else happening. But I was on the air at that time and my entire timeline was full of. Um, you know, people, you, you know, the women being drafted and not only with that, but the text line coming into the station was full of it. And was like, you know, people saying, are you going to talk about the women's, you know, draft? Are you going to talk about the WNBA draft? Um, so I feel like this has been something that has sort of been slowly happening for a while. It is such a shame that UConn's constant winning destroyed the game, <laughs> which was what we right. heard for years as like, why well, it's not interesting. Well, cause you can always wins or whatever, but that there wasn't parody. Well, you know what? Everybody else caught up. Congratulations to everybody else because they caught up and it's super interesting, but you know, the, the, the problem was the resources weren't put into those other teams in the same way. And now we have, now you have parody, but not only is it parody, it's excellence. Everybody else rose. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, as an IU grad, I am so proud of our women. They almost beat Arizona. They almost beat yeah. the national champs. And we, our women's team has never been at that level. And so, yeah, I just, I think there's a lot of people feeling really good about their teams, their women's teams across the country right now. 100% which is fun. Okay. Speaking of uh, women in sports, we've got a great guest coming up. We'll get to it right after this. (laughs) 
joining us now in the ladies' room is a voice you guys are all going to recognize. Kate Scott is one of the hosts of The Morning Roast on 957. What channel is that, Kate? I don't even know. 957 out in the 95, Bay Area? 957 The Game, Julie. 957 The game. game. All right. I knew as soon as I read it, I'm like, no, I'm getting that wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> you probably know her better as a play-by-play voice because she has done play-by-play, including a Warriors game uh, in the past week. How you doing? Uh, I am exhausted, but, uh, but I know what day it is. I know what city I'm in and I know the two lovely humans that I'm talking to. So I'm doing fantastic. Thank you both for having me today. That's great. You know, Kate, I did a bunch of interviews this week for my book, which came out a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, congratulations, by the way, I can't wait for it to, I can't wait for it to arrive. I swear to God, I was not fishing for that in any way, but (laughs) the reason I bring it up is because so many people brought up you calling a warriors game to me and having an all female crew and saying, is this a sign that we're making progress? And I was like, yes, but we shouldn't (laughs) just be doing this once a year during Women's History Month. Like this should be a regular thing where the schedule just shakes out that you got all women because there are so many women working in the industry. Exactly. Yes. And I completely agree with you there, Julie. And hi, Jane. Uh, can't Can't wait to get into things with both of you. Yes, I totally agree. It should be more than a one night, one game experience during Women's Empowerment Month. But how do I think we get there? We have these nights like the hockey game I called last year, like the Warriors game I called this week to show people that we are here. We are qualified. We are doing this. We can do this. We just need the opportunity. We need to do that for the listeners, for the fans, for the audience, so they can say, oh yeah, this maybe sounds a little bit different because it's the woman's voice versus a man's voice, which I'm used to hearing, but damn, she knows the game and she, I'm having a really fun time listening to it. And at the same time, we also need to show the powers that be because we know how afraid a lot of decision makers understandably because there's so much on the line are when it comes to risk taking. Why think outside the box when what you've been doing for the past 50 plus years is working? Why would you change? Oh, because we're getting an overwhelmingly positive response right now on social media from how awesome this is from all of our fans who are usually tweeting us. Oh, wow. They they actually can do this job and they're doing it at a really high level. They're MBA level broadcasters. So now the next time we have a hiring session, I may be going to consider people outside the box and hopefully not just women, hopefully all the other people who haven't seen themselves reflected in sports. So um, I, I understand why people are upset that at the moment it's a one-time thing. I also think, and this is why I've said yes to the Warriors game and the NHL last year, I think it's important that we do it. We do as well as we have in the games I've been involved in so that hopefully in the next year or two, these do become a thing of the past because when the Warriors guy is sick, I'm just filling in with with the male analyst. And if the analyst is sick, you know, my my analyst that night, Mary Murphy, is filling in. And that's how things, in my opinion, at least become normalized. A hundred percent. And 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 I is I do think I agree with you. It is important to take these opportunities, even if, you know, you wish that Kim Ang had had the opportunity to be a GM 10 years ago. And you don't necessarily it's you still celebrate when she actually gets the GM job for right. the New Orleans. Um, and I do think the decision-making point is really important because it's always about who is the audience for these games. And I think in the past, the assumption is, well, you know, our audience is 99.9% men. So that's Mm -hmm. who we're talking to. And we want to make sure they're comfortable. We don't want to alienate any of those men when really the market for sports generally is now, you know, it's, there are many, many more women watching, following paying attention to these games mm-hmm. and agree they want to see themselves represented. But it's also important to recognize that these jobs can be done just as well by women, if not better. Um, and to give, you know, to give them the opportunity to do that and not to place an artificial ceiling on who does what and who's available to do what. And and um, I think Jane, and I think Jane, just to jump in real quick, I think it's also um, just kind of not, not giving the guys, at least here in the Bay Area, who are sports fans, enough credit. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I know in some markets, this may be a different story, but I think it really helps that I've been in this market, as you two know, for 15 years. So sports fans know me. And guys, women, whoever you are, old, young, for the most part, they might not not like my voice or like me, but I, I think for the most part, I've earned their respect. So 
I think it's kind of saying, you know, not realizing how rad the male sports fans we have here in the Bay are who have been huge supporters of mine and vocal supporters for a long time. And also how many, I know this term has become a big thing the last couple of years, the girl dads, like some of the best responses I got were, I'm so excited about this. I'm, I'm listening to the game tonight. We're turning on the TV and putting it on mute and syncing up the radio. So my, so that my daughters and my sons can listen. So my daughters know that they can do this. So my sons know that, that, that um, women can do this growing up. Their sisters can do it. Um, You know, so I think there's many more aspects to that when it comes to, as you said, the decision makers, I think it's time for them to start spinning kind of their thought of what the audience and what their expectations are forward as well, at least here in the Bay Area. I think you're exactly right. And and this idea that we're, you know, we're continuing to to broadcast sports to a 1955 audience exactly. is, you know, you have you, every every year you're evolving with your graphics. Mm-hmm. You're evolving with the way you shoot a game. You know, you're evolving in so many different ways. And I think this is just another way to evolve. And you're, you're, you know, I, I think of younger fans also and why, you know, there's no reason to alienate fans by saying, well, you're just not going to see yourself represented because we're, you know, we're talking about sports and that means exactly. that we have to have men, um, you know, being the the voices and the leaders and the decision makers. Um, because I, it, again, I think, I think ultimately if this continues, it like what we've seen happening at the NCAA tournament, um, I think ultimately you will turn off fans. You will cap your audience. You will yep. turn away people who would be consumers of your product yep. because they don't like the way that you're conducting your business. Exactly. And I think the way to do it, the NCAA tournament, to me, when it comes to my role in things, is the perfect example. What we all want is what Lisa Beinstein and Debbie Antonelli have had the last couple of years. Debbie was thrown in as an analyst to the men's tournament because she's freaking great and qualified and she's calling the game with a guy. Lisa was calling games with a guy too, right? Because they were both qualified. So they just became a person in the rotation. It wasn't, it's an all female broadcast. They're calling women's hoops, you know, whatever it may be, they earn their spots and they were a part of it. And Lisa did a great job, got to call some yeah. buzzer beaters, some crazy upsets. So I think that's that's how it should be. And that is how I think you go to not alienating your audience, Jane, as you said, because it's just normal. Hey, this person's qualified. It's their time. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll throw in a plug for my girl, Brooke Weisbrod, too, who calls uh, ESPN men's games all the time and is yes, absolutely totally. terrific. Um, so, yeah. you know, my standard response, whenever people ask me, how do we get to a place that's more equitable in sports and more inclusive is, well, you know, we need to get more women in positions of hiring who will make the decisions and won't see hiring women as such a risk. However, um, you know, I had that come to my station and she fired both women on the station at like her mm. second week. So now I'm sort of reevaluating how I answer that question. So, you know, obviously there's this thing called the mirror complex where you hire people or you're more comfortable with people who look like you do. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I had always assumed, you know, once we get the, the older white guys out of here who really don't care about diversity and just sort of pay lip service to it we'll be in a much better situation. But I think it's a bit more complex than that. So what kind of person do you want to see making decisions, say for like, you know, who gets broadcasting slots? Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to see the people who are in the positions of power being people who realize that the more diversity you have on your staff, the more different voices you have in your room, whether that be a part of your broadcast team, the executive team, whatever it may be, the better your organization is going to be because there's different ideas and perspectives. And I, I'm one of the people who's of the mind that I have learned the most when I'm surrounded by people who don't look or sound like me because they have had such different life experiences that I never thought about something before because I'd never even been forced to think about something before. But all of a sudden, that's their life. So they're bringing it right to me. So um, so I, I don't think it has to be a man or a woman or white or black, although totally the mirror thing is is spot on, Julie. We're most comfortable a lot of the time with people who look like us. Um, but <laughs> AJ Malesko, you know, the uh, Olympic gold medalist who I've been lucky enough to start calling hockey with um, on a more consistent basis has this term she calls ambassadors. Uh, she doesn't like the term allies. She likes <laughs> ambassadors. <laughs> because, because when I 
look at it like I got my first job in radio at KMBR because of Lee Hammer. Yes, Jen Violet, his assistant program director, definitely played a role. But Lee had the final decision and he took a huge risk. I mean, there's never been a full time woman on a sports station in San Francisco. And it was 2011 when I got hired. That was a huge risk for Lee. Bob Sargent at the 49ers. He was the final one who made the decision to let me call a couple of preseason games, you know, at at NBC, Dan Steer, same thing. So it has been men, men ambassadors, as I like to call them, who, whether it's because they have daughters, whether it's because they look at things a little bit differently, whatever the reason, um, I don't think the person in power needs to look or be a certain thing other than they have to be open to and realize that it's probably going to be better for the organization in the end if we try to have as many different voices and people in here because that is what our audience looks like. That is a reflection of our audience. So that's that's what I think. Kate, you got the no- the notice that you were going to be calling this game while you were on live radio. <laughs> yes. I'm still pissed at them for that. Screw you, Warriors. <laughs> but well, I mean, thank you and stuff. No, no pressure there. But yeah. um, no, I'm just, so I'm thinking like, obviously you have called a ton of different sports. You have been on the radio forever, but you must realize also in that moment that here, here comes the pressure to perform mm-hmm. on a big stage. Yeah. Take us into what happened and how you prepared and what you did to make sure that you were, you hadn't covered Warriors games before this. So what's that process like? Oh, yeah. Well, the first thing I did, Jane, was was freak out because I pulled up my calendar and realized I'm going to be in Boston for the four days prior to the Warriors game calling hockey. Uh, and not not just one game, but three games in the span of two days, which means I was learning four hockey teams and a league that I had never covered before. So that's 80 players. And in hockey, I like to call it football on skates. You can't recognize people's faces because everybody wears helmets. Mm. You're up high. Um, they move so quickly. And also, as opposed to football, where do hockey players have numbers? only on the backs of their sweaters. They don't even have it on the front. They wear their team logo on the front and on their little shoulder pads. So I was pretty much thinking, can I cuss on this podcast? Is yes. Of course. I was thinking, holy we fuck. Require Seriously? Yeah. Like, fuck. The, the night that I finally get a chance to call a Warriors game is after I'm <laughs> in Boston for four days having to memorize all these things. So uh, my first thought was, ah, okay, this is going to be a lot. But thanks to my prior experiences with these, and I'm putting up the air quotes first with the 49ers preseason games with the PAC 12 football, with the NHL last year. I'm so thankful for those now because there's a calm that comes over me because those things have proved to me, I can do this. It doesn't matter what it is or what the challenge may be. If it's memorizing a hundred names in a week, like Kate, you can do this. So I knew that it was going to be difficult looking at my calendar and realizing the grind of four games in four days, three in Boston and one in San Francisco. Um, So I dove right into my prep because that's the most important thing. When I'm extremely prepared, that's when I feel the most confident um, because I know that there's there's nothing I need to do other than call the game once I actually get to the game that night. So um, I started by the good thing is I'm covering Warriors on a daily basis because we're the Warriors flagship radio station, 95-7 the game. So already watching the games. But as a lot of us, I've been watching them with the TV broadcast. Right. So uh, since I was going to be calling the game on radio and there's a big difference between how you call a game on the radio versus television, started watching the games on TV on mute and listening to the radio call writing down the ins and outs. How do we go to break? What are these consistent sponsors? When are they used? So I started to learn the rhythm of the broadcast that I was going to be calling. Also started writing down ways that Tim Roy, the voice of the Warriors, who I think is really one of the best NBA voices in the country, um, how he uses vocab and what words he would use to describe certain parts of the court so that when I came in, I would be able to use the same, if not similar verbiage, because that's what Warriors fans were used to. So obviously I never want to copy people when I'm doing play-by-play, but if there's something I can do to make the transition to my voice slightly easier, um, that's what I wanted to do. So like something as simple as um, three-point line uh, in the NBA, as opposed to just being kind of a solid arc, right? There's a break kind of right at the 
corner of the court that it starts to, it's a straight line up the sideline and then there's a break and then it starts to curve around the top of the key. And Tim refers to that as the right break or the left break, which I probably wouldn't have called that before, but that's what he did. So I started to work into my vernacular. Anyway, so watching the games on TV. Um, and then I knew that I wanted to start on my basketball boards so that I would get as much of that done so that I could then go all into hockey. Because one of the hard things with my brain is, right, I can't do it all at the same time or it all starts to jumble together. So started on my basketball boards, which for folks who don't know the broadcasting industry, the things eight by 11 manila folder for me for basketball, bulls on one side, warriors on one side, numbers of everybody, height, weight, college, age, percentages, you know, field goal, three point assist per game, all those things. Um, and then a couple of notes about each of the guys, you know, 2020 all-star, whatever, just started kind of the, the base of that. Then obviously the trade deadline was last Thursday. So I didn't want to get too far into that because I had a feeling both teams were going to make some moves. Fuck you bulls for making so many moves. But <laughs> um, anyway, so got that done and then, and then moved into my hockey board. So same thing with hockey, writing down all the numbers, the names, stats about all the different women that were going to be playing, playing. And that is, that is a huge part of my memorization process is I create my own boards. Um, a lot of broadcasters, once they get to a certain level, there's plenty of services who create wonderful boards, but at least now, at least for a few more years, probably um, creating my own and actually typing in and finding the information myself is, is a part of that. And then obviously watching hockey games to prep because I'd never seen these NWHL teams before. So I was watching games on Twitch, which is where their Lake Placid regular season took place, trying to figure out who skated, how, who shot left-handed, who shot right-handed. Um, and then uh, also downloaded a bunch of games to my iPad for Bulls and Warriors because I was back in Boston starting on Wednesday of last week. So had those games that I wasn't going to be able to watch real time. So anyway, that was a very long drawn out answer, but there's, uh, I just dove into prep, a lot of film watching, um, a lot of boards, a lot of reading of articles, and then, you know, you just get to the games and do the best you can. You know, Kate, um, at my last radio station, one year for Christmas, they gave us Pat Hughes's scorecard from uh, the Cubs winning the, the Game 7 of the World Series. Oh, that's and awesome. it is it is so awesome. But it was completely indecipherable outside of the players' <laughs> names, which are all spelled yeah. phonetically. And people freaked out and were like, oh, my God, that's not how you spell Hayward. Um, totally. But I really do think, like, having you know watched people do this, that it takes a certain kind of brain to be able to do this and to be able to memorize all this. And I mean, I like, I think if I had to do play by play, I would just wind up like mystery theater and mystery science theater for a thousand and the whole thing. And just like making jokes here and there. I don't know how you guys do it. Um, so, you know, and when I was a kid play by play for the Cubs was what I wanted to do. And I got to hear Beth Moen's call a game last week and I bawled my eyes out hearing a woman call Chicago Cubs game, which I never thought I would hear in my lifetime. Um, Mm. so if you are a young girl, like I was, and you want to go into play by play, um, Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of great media schools, but I am a huge proponent of majoring in something different from everyone else. I feel like we get, you know, 10,000 sports communication majors. And I'm mm-hmm. way more interested in people that, you know, study history, study journalism, study, you yep. know, English, just different things. But if you were, you know, in high school and you want to be Kate Scott when you get older, what are you going to study? Yeah, that's a, a really good question, Julie. And and I... Thank you. No one ever says that to me. I had that discussion. <laughs> yes, <laughs> come on. Uh, I, and Jane, you've asked good questions too. I don't want you Thank to Thank you very much. I'd like um, a little credit, please. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, that was the decision that I had to, to make going into college, right? And I actually was aware of it at the time. I said, do I want to go to... Because I didn't want to go across the country. I wanted to stay relatively close to home. Um, so out... In California, you know, there's San Francisco State has a great broadcasting school um, up in the Bay Area. Uh, the University of San Diego had something back in the day. And now more and more places have have journalism schools of stuff. But like I went to Cal, I went to UC Berkeley um, and they didn't have a Cal TV at the time. They had CalX, CalX, the radio station, longstanding. Um, but I said, what do I want my college experience to be? I know this is what I want to be, but do I want to just go and have fun and go to a school where there's teams I want to cheer for and it's close to a city I love in San Francisco? Um, Or do 
I think that I need to go to a broadcasting school in order to get my foot in the door. So I think it's really just a personal decision. I'm really glad I made the decision that I did because of what you mentioned, Julie, because I think it has helped me stand out. And the same thing applies to internships. I always tell kids, and again, this is not right for every person, but understandably, everybody wants to intern for ESPN or Fox Sports or whatever. I interned two times between my freshman and sophomore year and my sophomore and junior year in college at the ABC station down in Fresno, where I'm from, the television station, because I was literally the only intern. So I was with the news desk. I was with the assignment desk. I was going out with a sports reporter. And by my second summer, I was literally a reporter. I mean, they they weren't paying me at that time, which I know things have changed and stuff, but they would send me out with a photographer. I would come back and write the script for the anchor. I wouldn't get to be on air, but I got so much experience because I was willing to go someplace that wasn't that flashy, wasn't that great. And wouldn't you know it, because it was a smaller market, literally all the reporters and anchors are now either in San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York because they moved up as well. The The program director there at the time uh, is now head of ABC here in San Francisco, and she and I have been friends for years. So I think there's something to thinking outside the box when it comes to school or internships or something. Sometimes you're going to get a lot more experience um, in a in a not Syracuse or a Florida or name your super special broadcasting school here. Now, at the same yeah, time, I know plenty of Beth Moens and Mike Tarico's and, you know, Mike who have come out of those schools. But for me, um, I made it work because I knew that I was going to have the ability to be a go-getter. So I was able to do those four internships when I was in college, which is probably more than a lot of people had to do at some of the bigger schools. Wherever you go, just make sure there's a place for you to either call games on the radio or do television. It doesn't necessarily need to be at one of those big schools. What you do need is critique, but you can get that everywhere, right? Whether it's from your professors, whether it's from the local minor league baseball broadcaster, like just always be reaching out for critique and mentorship. And in in my opinion, Jane and Julian, you you can weigh in on this. Those are the most important things to me. I wish I had gotten reps. That's the one regret I have. Because again, I didn't think I could be a play-by-play announcer in the early 2000s when I was at Cal. I was there from 01 to 05. And being a woman doing play-by-play was not a thing yet. I didn't see Beth calling football games until like my junior year at Cal. So I thought I was going to be a reporter or an anchor. And I thought that was my ceiling. So it doesn't matter where you go, in my opinion, as long as you're able to, to get those reps and start getting ahead of the game. Because that's another part of this to me. We talked about the hiring people and what they need to look like or be and consider. But I think it's also important We look at the minor leagues right now, and for the most part, it's still a majority white young men, which is awesome. Totally get it. They're great kids. I'm mentoring some young white men right now, but that's where it starts, right? If there are hundreds of reps ahead of us, of course, they're going to continue getting the jobs. So the earlier we can start, the the more jobs will be prepared for when they come open. Yeah. And I know Jane has thoughts about this as well, obviously working at a, at a university, but, um, you know, I really believe that, that if I did not have my law degree, I would never have gotten the chances I got because that was a hole that we had at our station that whenever, you know, something came up with a CBA or someone got, you know, arrested or whatever, there was no one they could go to on the staff. Um, and so I'm, I'm a huge advocate of, of, you know, doing something to sort of set yourself apart a little bit from that. Jane, Mm -hmm. what do you think? Well, uh, you're talking to somebody who basically has an undergraduate degree in philosophy. So, <laughs> so, so not no wonder we always have such great philosophical <laughs> conversations, Jane. That is so. That is true, Kate. We've had some great, co- but I. But I'm I'm with you. I think and so uh, you know full disclosure uh, for our listeners. I'm the director of Marist College Center for Sport Communication, and you know part of the problem with reps right now is we're in a pandemic and so going out covering games yeah. broadcasting them we have an ESPN3 at Marist which i agree with you Kate it is absolutely crucial that you know students have the technical skills but also have the uh the kind of context and and have a broader range of of experiences and ideas and study than just yeah. communication and that's 
you know, I always encourage them, okay, so this is what you want to do, right? But what's the expertise you're bringing? Like, exactly. what else do you know? What's the exactly. context? And Well, and I think, yes. And thank you for bringing that back because I know that I was rambling and lost track. But when I was at Cal, I majored in quote unquote communications. But when I was there, it was really PR focused because that was the really cool part of mm, communications yeah. in the early 2000s. And I minored in history and anthropology. Anthropology wow. is the study of people. And I was super interested in history, which I think there's a lot of overlap when it comes to sports. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, one of the, the, I mean, he's, I don't know if you consider him up and coming, but I think he's going to be the next just superstar, Al Michaels, Jim Nance, whatever, is Dave Fleming, who mm-hmm. we love here in the Bay Area because he's been a long time Giants broadcaster, but you hear him on ESPN calling every sport. He's just started doing golf and the Masters and stuff. And Dave went to Stanford and majored in English because of the same thing. Like you can love a sports and call sports and follow sports and, and do the internships. But I think the life experience is really important too, because that prepares you to be even better at making the connections, which are so important when it comes to success for this industry, you know, and and also again, setting yourself apart. If you're not just, oh, that's all you've done is broadcasting or writing, or, you know, you have something that makes you a little bit different. Like you said, Julie, the law degree like that, that makes you intriguing, even though it might be scary to think about that when you're just getting into college. We have a situation at Marist right now where our students are reporting on some allegations of domestic violence involving um, one of our sports teams. And Mm. that has been a real education for them and for me and for, you know, and to be able to really understand that it's not just about being able to break down a defense. You really do have to be able to call, you know, a police department and ask for their public information officer. You have to be able to, uh, you know, really think these things through. And I, and I think that if you are just so head down in the nuts and bolts, uh, X's and O's, you really do lose the ability sometimes to think bigger when it comes to these stories. And it's all a part of what we do, broadcasting, you know, calling games, even how do you put something like that in context? If you were to call a game involving something like that, or, you know, you have to be able to know, you have to have a wider experience. You have to have empathy. You have to be able to connect to people. It's all definitely part of the business. Yeah. And I think it's also good. And I'm sure you've talked about this before, to, to have as many different skills in our industry as possible. I started as a writer and then I focused on TV for a while. And then I went hard into radio for five or six years. And now I do all of them. And a lot of people say, you know, why did you focus on writing? Everything as you two know, comes back to writing. Yeah, um, yeah. And the latest example that I think about was last year during two different games, my halftime segment was eulogizing somebody. A Utah student athlete was murdered. And I was on the first broadcast for Utah sport after that. And of course she was our open and she was our halftime segment because literally the Utah volleyball players that morning had been at, at a memorial for her on campus. So I, I wrote that. I said, show me the pictures and I, I'm writing this. So I'm so glad I had that writing experience under my belt. And, you know, then one of our statisticians who was supposed to be with me the other night, love you, Bo Chapman, still thinking about you every day, but you know, one week he was my statistician. And then the next week he had passed and we spent our halftime of that, um, basketball game, same thing, eulogizing him. Um, so it's so important for, young people getting into this industry to learn as many skills as you can, even if you don't think it's going to be the skill that you will rely on the most. I have found that so helpful throughout my career to know how to do at least a little bit of everything. Well, Kate Scott, uh, gosh, I feel like we could go on with you for hours and hours. Thank you so much. No, (laughs) everything you said is fascinating. And, you know, I I always point to the broadcast booth as a place where we really haven't cracked that ceiling yet in any kind of major way. But the more I see... Yeah, the more I see women like you and Beth and Doris and, you know, and Brooke and, and all these women, Lisa Byington, you know, in the broadcast booth doing play by play or doing analysis, it gives me such hope for the future. And, you know, I know you're an inspiration to an entire generation of girls out there. So thanks for all you do. Thanks for your time. I hope everybody goes and listens to Kate on 95.7, the game out in the Bay Area. Give her a follow. <laughs> Look at you. Give her a follow. On t- I used to work for another station that was like, you know, they're all like the game or the score. Well, like, and that's it. the thing. Yeah. You you never know, Julie, how it's read. Like it might right. look like 95.7, but 
as you said, it might be 957. Yeah, I was thinking AM, <laughs> which is why I was you get like, into the market. Yeah, I worked at 670 AM and 720 AM. So I was like 957? <laughs> Give Kate a follow on Twitter at Kate Scott. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Kate. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me on YouTube and love all of your work. Keep it up and hope to talk again soon. So Jane, uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk about the MLB All-Star Game getting moved out of Georgia due to their Jim Crow-esque voter suppression bill. And um, first of all, I'm never used to MLB doing the right thing. So I was shocked. <laughs> I mean, they never do the right thing. So that was kind of amazing. I mean, it, and I think it kind of speaks to how far Georgia has gone over the line. If now Major League Baseball is, you know, calling you out for it, moving it to Denver, which is fine. Um, you know, Sunday Night Baseball, oh God, Sunday Night Baseball is just it is unwatchable. Like it's not unwatchable. It is unlistenable too. you. Like, I cannot take a rod. He is so bad. And <laughs> He goes during last Sunday night's game. Okay, so we saw the crowds at Texas Rangers opening day, right? Packed yes. stadium. I mean, just absolutely obscene in the middle of a global pandemic, which, by the way, is now headed into a fourth surge. Great job, everyone. Yeah. Um, he he says, you know, if Texas has a full stadium, why would you not move the All Star game there? Well, a rod. <laughs> My God, yeah. he is stupid. Well, there's a global pandemic on. Not sure if you heard. Um, yes. Also, Texas dabbles in a voter suppression, much like Georgia. Well, so that's right. The and that's why you couldn't. I mean, and that's why it would be difficult. You couldn't justify moving there. Uh, it looks like it'll be Colorado. So, uh, you know, yeah. everybody can can buy their legal cannabis, um, right. which is, you know, a nice perk uh, other than being able to watch the All-Star game. Um, but but I, th I think there's something here when you talk about baseball and, and the way that it's um acted as a corporate entity over the last, you know, couple of decades, because you do have, and we talked about this with Claire Smith, you have the league of Jackie Robinson, where, you know, one of the, the origin story of the modern baseball game is one of diversity and racial inclusion. And I think that goes a long way to understanding why they had to do, they had to make the decision that they made. It is surprising because so often, you know, the, the corporate social justice is just words. It is not actions. Um, it is about hiring people of color to fill out your diversity committee and then calling it a day. Um, and and I, so for them to be able to do something like this, um, you know, showed that they were actually putting the power of the money that they can bring to a city for that all-star game. And they were putting it into the, the, the words that they use when they talk about uh, race and social justice. Yeah. And that was shocking because it, really it just wasn't all that done all that much. Right. And Rob Manfred is still a member of Augusta. Um, he's not given that up. So, you know, we, we're not a hundred percent of the way there, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was good to see. And, you know, I had a lot of people screaming at me when I said, I thought it was the right thing that, you know, this hurts people who work for the, for those organizations Which and restaurant true. owners. It does, but there have been multiple studies done and, and shout out to Craig Calcaterra for putting this in his newsletter. There have been studies done that this, this kind of thing trickles down. I mean, it's, it's just classic trickle down economics, right? It does not trickle down to the masses the way that people think it does. It is primarily harming corporations. It, and, and so that's you know, a good thing. There is certainly truth that the businesses around the stadium will suffer because they don't have the income from that game. I understand that. But at the same time, you know, when when artists didn't go to play Sun City uh, because of South African apartheid, it made a difference. Right. Right. And, it, you know, you can't deny the power of people saying no yeah. to something. Right. Um, and I, you know, when people say, you know, well, you're just harming people who work there. And I'm like, I am sorry. Take it up with the legislature. You know, it, it, that is really where the blame needs to lie. Right. Right. That's exactly right. And it's, a sh you know, and the problem is it's 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 a, it's not so much a shame that baseball has to take the game away. It's a shame that the policies make it such that. Right. That is the decision that they have to make in order to be in concert with their own values as a corporation. Um, yes. I, I mean, it, it is it is hilarious. The anti cancel culture stuff that now means. <laughs> I know, right? That people are like all on the right tweeting about how they're not drinking their Diet Cokes or taking flights on Delta. 
But you saw uh, the picture after, of Trump, right? With the Diet Coke hidden behind I did, the phone, I saw which was, that was amazing. And this is, this is after the, the Dr. Seuss filled the news cycle for two straight <laughs> weeks on Fox News. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Um, but, but this is the world we live in right now. But, but the, but the fact of the matter is that, that it will make a difference that baseball does this. And not only that, it makes a difference in that it sends a message to other sports leagues because as you as you know baseball has been in some ways fairly aggressive when it comes to these policies yeah. so the nba um certainly uh, you know I, I i i don't know and the wnba of course because they've been very active in georgia politics mm-hmm. but the but the stances that they, they take now will be interesting because i bet they're going to be somewhat creative in the way that they try to come at this issue um and the nfl is of course um, the really interesting one because it, it has been so allergic to to taking a stand in any kind of real way. What are you talking about? They put end racism in the end zones. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I and I don't mean to to uh, the the players have certainly done some some really important things, and uh, and I do and I do believe that the NFL front office has been. You know, and you do have you have progressive ownership with the blanks and the Falcons. So, so it will be interesting to see what the NFL does now. But, but certainly as a as a as a cor- as a kind of a quasi corporate structure, the NFL has been most loath uh, to to alienate you know people who look like white the white people. male ownership group that they have. Uh, I remember a very heartfelt message from Roger Goodell. So I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. Well, and I do believe, as I said, the NFL front office, I think there are, there are a lot of people in there who are trying to solve these, uh, who, who do think seriously about these issues. You know, Troy I think Wilson I sold that a little too well. I was completely sarcastic. Uh, <laughs> maybe you did. Well, you know, because I just, I feel like, because there, you know, no, nothing is a monolith, right? And certainly the people in the NFL are not a monolith and they're trying right. to deal with internally a number of different constituencies and then also externally. But I think you have a situation now where you have the bulk of your players are black and you don't want to be in a situation where they would be disenfranchised, uh, functionally could yeah. be disenfranchised. Right. No, I completely agree. And also, I think Jamie Gertz's hu- Jamie Gertz and her husband own a big piece of the Atlanta Hawks. So come on, Jamie Gertz. This episode <laughs> is really dating us. We're talking about Sun City, Jamie Gertz. I mean, there's like a, you know, there's a bunch of millennials sitting around right now. Going, what the fuck is Sun City? Like, they're, they're, they're getting out there. Google. Yeah. So check go, out the references we're dropping. Check out some Lou Reed songs. You'll get it. <laughs> um, also, yeah. Also, Jamie Gertz. She, hey, trust me. She was huge in the 80s. Okay. By the way, uh, did you know that the guy who played Aiden in Sex in the City? I'm I just have to go off of this. So I've I've fell down a rabbit hole with uh, John and Bo Derek. Speaking okay. of dated references, yes. do you know that Bo? Because you brought up Northern Exposure, I believe with, with um, Jamie Gertz was in that, right? No. Oh God. Okay. So <laughs> I thought she was. Anyway, Bo Derek is now dating the guy who played Aiden in Sex. Yeah, in the City. they've been together for a long time. But I mean, so the first guy that she married, John. Derek, Derek was like yeah. born in 1926. Yeah. And then she's <laughs> seriously, I looked this up because I read down a serious rabbit hole on this. And now, and now she's with the guy who's John like Corbett. The early, yeah, John Corbett, the early aughts hottie from Sex yes. I just, um, Good for her. Yeah, I was going to say props here to Bo Derek. <laughs> I think I saw like a Sunday morning thing on them like two years ago. Um, like, yeah, like, uh, like CBS Sunday morning, like profile of them. And I was like, well done, bro. Good yeah. job. Um, yes. also, you know, I decided, we decided to name our son Aiden right before that arc started on sex in the city. And then there came like a thousand Aidens after that. And I just want to say that first of all, like I was out front of that movement. And second of all, you're all spelling it wrong. It's A-I-D-A-N. It's not A-I-D-E-N. So I just wanted everyone to know that. Okay. PSA. Yeah. I, for all the future Aidens out there. Yeah. My my son is always like, why did you name me Aiden? And I'm like, look, we were out for, we named you Aiden before Sex in the City. Yes, exactly right. Sometimes you're just on the, you're on the crest of a wave, Julie. Right. That's what, right. that's in what fact, you did there. They probably named Aiden on Sex in the City because of me. Yeah, they probably did. They probably yeah. were like, let's check out some Chicago birth records. I just remember like right after he was born, opening Pottery Barn for kids and just seeing Aiden on everything and being like, Fuck. <laughs> nice. Well, hey, you made it easy. You made well, it easy. You can get the you can get the the uh, the floor model. 
Yeah, as someone who had to go as Julie D her entire like childhood, I was really hoping for a name that wouldn't do that. But alas, I failed. Well, yeah, I mean, cheers to Colorado. Um, legal weed, which is great. We've got legal weed in Illinois now. So, you know, We're it's not two years in New York. I thought you were getting it already. Well, it's we've got medical, but now it's going to be oh. recreational in two years. But, I mean, we, they made the decision, but it's going to it's going to take two years for it to all happen. You should just I can wait. Visit. I'm patient. Come visit me. Like my dispensary is like half a mile away and it looks like the Apple store. It's fantastic. Well, listen, I've, I've made the vow that since it is going to be legal someday, someday I will do marijuana again. But it's not I, gonna be I had never done it until like six months ago. Oh, and I've gotten I mean, not breaking news, breaking news on the pod. My husband's like, I mean, I was a very good girl. My husband like calls me a stoner all the time. But I mean, seriously, like I I finally get it now. No wonder there's magazines about this stuff and people have bumper stickers saying legalize it. Like I don't smoke it, but edibles help me relax, fall asleep, um, not stress out over things. I mean, I'm like, this is ridiculous. How can we get alcohol? We can't have this. It's a great question, and it has to do with traditions and culture rather right. than and reefer madness decisions about what makes what makes the most sense as a society. Yeah. Speaking of reefer madness, um, <laughs> I just want to say I don't know if anyone has seen this, but I am just blown away by this every time I will see this documentary, and I watch it like fifteen times. Um, there is a documentary on History Channel called "High Hitler and the Super Soldiers." And it's about how, like, not only all of the Nazis, Hitler, his inner circle, but, like, 50% of the German populace was hopped up on crystal meth before and during World War II. Uh, okay. They called it pervitin, and they gave it to, like, students to stay up late to study. They gave it to moms who had crying babies. So not only are these poor people going through, and I'm not talking about Nazis, I'm talking about just regular people who, you know, we can debate whether or not they're good people, either way. Going through like post-war Germany where everything's destroyed, they're detoxing at the same time. Wow. Which had to suck. That's all I can I'm say. I can say that when my baby was crying, the last thing I wanted to do was be more focused. Or more awake. Yeah. You just want to kind of sleep through it. Yeah. Yeah. I would have but to check out. Sounds just, like an interesting story. It's something I know nothing about. I just can't believe this isn't common knowledge. I mean, it's one of those things that you're like, how come we don't all know this? This is insane. Well, this was probably the same era that there was actually cocaine and Coca-Cola. Yes. Allegedly. <laughs> yes. And my chemistry professor in college told me that his mom had bought half bottles of Coke stashed all over the house. Well, listen, my father, my my Polish grandmother used to send my father off to school with whiskey in the cold days nice. and a hot potato in his pocket. So hey. let us all be very happy that we've moved beyond that. I, you know, frankly, I think we could use some cocaine in our Coca-Cola <laughs> again. Hey, that might get people to buy it again. You heard now the it here. The official sports drug podcast <laughs> of Deadspin. <laughs> and look, I don't want to go on Twitter and see that I'm feeling sympathy for Nazis. That is not what I said. All right. I didn't hear that. I did not hear. <laughs> I heard a historical discussion about drug use. Correct. In the not, military. Yes. No, not making any sort of qualitative evaluation right. of uh, more morality and. Right. That's another podcast. I can That's see my. I can tell by our uh, topics now when we start firing off disclaimers it's time for this thing to end right exactly and this this is all because i brought up Bo and john Derek. let's just say started there we started yes. started to wind down did he change moment. his last name oh john Derek was the first guy yeah and then there's john corbett i'm like did he change his last name to Derek? that would be no awesome. no 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 yeah she's That's kind of a badass day. he's still adorable and um good for her yeah happy endings yes happy end uh, not, not not that kind of not Okay, well, it's time for this to be over. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, uh, We will be back next week with another terrific guest. Uh, Kate Scott was great. Big thank you to her. Hope that you guys will read our work over at Deadspin. Give us a follow on social media at Jane Sports and at Julie DeCaro. And we will see you next week in the ladies' room.